Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. All right, sitting in with me here on the tour coach is good friend, one of the great instructors in the game of golf from just up I-65 from me in Birmingham, Alabama at Greystone, Mr. Mark Blackburn. Mark, what's up, buddy? Hey, T, how are you? Man, I'm good. I'm good. We've been trying to do this a while. I know our schedules are uh, crazy, but uh, seem to be a little less hectic nowadays. I'm, I'm guessing during all of this, you're spending a little more time at home and probably a... Uh, not doing a whole lot other than keeping distance from folks so yeah no it's definitely a, a crazy time so my wife said to me i can't believe that you've been at home for a month i think that might be the longest i've had you at home since we've been married for 17 years so um yeah it's it's a really different time i'm trying to kind of enjoy the family thing but at the same time try and do things for our members at greystone obviously it's difficult with the social distancing. I mean, you can help people, but to get your hands in there and put your hands on people and move the club around is obviously, you know, probably not the, the best thing to try and stop this uh, coronavirus spreading, right? right? So you, you're trying to be creative and do as much as you can. So It's been an interesting period of time to be able to, with tour players, one of my players, to be able to say, okay, so, you know, hey, let's, hit the reset button and go back to what you're doing when you're playing really good. We've got the time and there's no consequence. You don't have to go tee it up Thursday and worry about where it's going to go. So I think that in a, in a way, I mean, obviously there's lots of bad out there, but we can frame this for our players as a positive that, it, you know, it gives them a rare opportunity to, to do some good and to have some time and to get rested and maybe to reset and go back to things, change things or do things they've needed to do, but haven't been able to find the time or the break from competitive golf. Yeah, totally. I mean, you could, you, I think our job as coaches is always to reframe a situation. And I, my, some of my players always, well, man, you're so optimistic. Well, if you're a coach, you have to be optimistic because <laughs> you're always looking for those small opportunities to try and improve a given situation, no matter what it is. So all of the players, you've got to figure out, well, this break is good for, in some ways. If someone's playing really, really well and they've been playing a lot, you might say, well, hey, this is a good time to be able to reset maybe rest a little bit, work on some of your conditioning, try and stay fresh as much as you can. But obviously there's going to be a, a lot of golf again. So you know what you've been doing well. Let's try and just kind of keep that even keeled so that you can jump back in. And then the guys and girls that have been struggling, you said, man, this is a great opportunity. So we're taking a break. Like you said, there's no consequence. Now it's time. Look, let's, let's really dig in here. We can enjoy doing this work, some of what I'd call the grunt work, so to speak. This is a perfect time for that. Look, you've gotten a bonus here. We take a break, then we can start back over again. And I think that our job as coaches and great coaches in every sport is always taking the situation and manipulating it to a, the athlete's advantage, right? And, and that's all we're ever trying to do. So you've you got to frame it whichever way is best for the person that's standing in front of you. 
One of the things I wanted to talk about with you today was because, to be honest, I I don't know that I know the whole story. Was I wanted to talk about like how did you get into coaching? What was your start? If you don't mind, just taking I I just you know mine. I mean, heck, we you know we've been in the same state a long time. I know bits and pieces of it, but I thought it'd be interesting to see like because you're such a great coach, you love coaching, um, like. Have you always been that way? And how did you get to where you are now? I thought it'd be, it, for me, myself, I would just love to hear it. Sure, yeah. So um, so I played college golf, came to the States, played college golf, um, went to school in Mobile for a couple of years and then got recruited and went to Southern Miss, graduated from Southern Miss and then um, wanted to try and play, just had a yearning to play. So I tried to play. Now, I would say that um, there was no lack of effort and desire. I would say um, my, if you like, shortfalls were generally lack of information, really knowing what was actually going on, uh, and also probably lack of funding. And then I got (laughs) injured. So I kind of didn't really have a choice but to figure out, okay, if I'm going to try and rehab, get me, I had a wrist injury. I was in England. I was about to go to Q school, hit a shot on the 12th hole at Betchworth um, Park, which is the course I grew up at um, just outside London. And anyway, I hit the shot and basically I tore some ligaments in my left wrist Mm. and couldn't hold the club. So I was like, I had to withdraw from Q school. So as a sort of effort to try and, support myself during that time I started teaching um in Gunnersville up in where I was living at the time because that's where one of my sponsors were so if anyone's not familiar with that that's Lake Gunnersville population of about 8,000 people in Marshall (laughs) County Alabama about 50 miles um sort of south of Huntsville pretty close highway 431 so middle of nowhere it's best known if you like to fish it's probably the number one bass fishing lake in America so um Anyway, bass fishing and golf, not necessarily the, the same thing. <laughs> but I, um, so I started kind of teaching there, trying, and the goal was I was going to try and get back to playing golf. I always wanted to, like, I was, my goal was I'm going to try and play. I'm going to use this time to try and assimilate information. I'm going to teach a little bit to try and create some revenue, and I'm going to learn. So at the time, I was, um, when I was playing, I was getting taught lessons by um, a guy called Bill McDonald, who's now the golf coach at South Carolina. Awesome guy. And he was the first, he was a George Killenhofer disciple. So Mm -hmm. TGM golf machine guy out of Atlanta. So that was really, really helpful to me. And as soon as I started working with Bill, I kind of, which was in my second year of trying to play, I'd gotten a lot better. And I started to actually make some money and I I was playing pretty good. This was right before this Q school. So I was like, okay, well, with the right information, I could see this, I could do this. It wasn't a work ethic issue, but that information essentially had come probably too late. So as I was teaching and playing, I would teaching, excuse me, to get rep, to go back to playing. I'd go over to Atlanta, I'd watch Bill teach, he'd help me some, I'd watch George, I'd watch some of those guys. And then I'd start to go talk to other coaches. So one of the guys who's in my wedding that I went to college with is VJ Trollio, who's over at Old Waverley. And mm-hmm. VJ, one of my, was a fantastic college player, way better than I was. Um, <clears throat> he was very instrumental and very useful in kind of introducing me to different concepts. So from George and Bill McDonald, 
who were golf machine guys, but they kind of rebranded it Accelerized Golf, which is essentially what very similar to what Scott Hamilton teaches now. Um, I kind of got introduced to the golf machine, and then VJ was a golf machine guy, and then a guy called Rob Noel mm-hmm. in um, down in Money Hill in Louisiana, near New Orleans, and then there was Ron Green, who I'd known for quite a long time. So there was kind of this pocket of golf machine instructors, and I kind of got into that group. Well, that really kind of escalated my teaching because it was like there was some information, but there wasn't a method. There was all these different ways to do it. And then as I became more involved in it, you had these different factions inside the golf machine. So Lynn Blake was kind of coming to prominence. You had Brian Manzella and Ben Doyle and Mike Finney. You kind of had this West Coast, um, Greg Manhattan sort of, if you like, swinging pattern. And then you kind of had this emergence of Lynn Blake, who was an original guy as well. And then another guy that was very instrumental to me early on was Alex Sloan. And he was from Florence, Alabama. And he was one of the original six people that went to see Homer Kelly. So it was like I had this massive dose of the golf machine. Okay. Well, in college, my degree was exercise science. So... I was originally in sports medicine, but when I transferred to Southern Miss, that program was a basically a curriculum, but it was a slightly different program to what it was in Mobile, so I had to transfer out, and I ended up in exercise science and coaching. So I kind of had that physiological background, and it kind of related to the golf machine, but it still didn't really resonate. Okay, well, there's these two extreme patterns, and there's everything in between, so this is interesting. Well, then VJ says, hey, we should go see Mac O'Grady. And I was like, this guy's crazy. But okay, so then VJ and I kind of went together to uh, the first time. We saw him in Orlando at one golf school, and then we saw him a couple more times in Palm Springs, um, met some cool people in that experience, Chuck Cook, some other golf machine people. So I kind of had this big, if you like, influence from the golf machine, Morad, Mac O'Grady. So that's kind of where I came from with some biomechanics. Now, I'd had tour players at the time. So in 2004, so I'm teaching all this time, working on all of this information with people in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, right? right. And if you've, anyone's been to Gunner's Landing, the driving range is more like a ski slope and it, you had short flight balls and it's straight downhill. So, but I was starting to have help players and I was starting to get better. And then a lot of the guys that I played mini tours with on the Hooters tour were now on the PGA tour. So one of my best friends on the, in the world, best man in my wedding, DJ Nelson, who I played college golf with, he played for South Alabama. I played for Southern Miss. So he, VJ and I, and a group of others, we're, we're all friends. He was now caddying for Heath Slocum and Slocum was struggling and he called me up one day out of the blue and he started asking me some questions. And then I went to New Orleans to the tour event. I think it was 04 or 05. And I go down there with all my gear and I'm like the young, naive kid, not knowing anything other than I'm going to help this golfer. Kind of didn't really think that much of it. It was a tour event, but I was more interested in the guy. And then he actually played okay in the second round. We missed the cut. And then... The next week, he went on a run, and he didn't miss a cut for the rest of the year, and he won in Jackson. And that kind of snowballed. It was validation that some of this information, I had the right student at the right time and the right information, right, which is what coaching is. Mm-hmm. So we can 
talk about all of the X's and O's and there's lots of really, really great, amazing coaches. But if you don't have the right student at the right time with the right, and you don't have the right information, it doesn't matter. So we can take all the coaches that are on the PGA Tour. There is a, either a technical, an emotional, there's something that that coach has that the player needs and the player's very receptive to it, which makes it a successful relationship. Yeah. So for me in 2005 or four, whichever year it was, I think it was actually five, with Heath, that was the relationship. And then that went on and then I started doing some work with Boo and other players. So I kind of got this, if you like, word of mouth reputation of, oh, Mark does a really good job helping guys be, become better ball hitters, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of snowballed. And so I then, it, then I'm teaching juniors, everybody's just doing my thing in Gunnersville. Not, I'm going and visiting other coaches, but I'm not really like doing that much tour travel. Heath comes to me, I go on the tour a little bit, but nothing excessive. And then Heath, at the end of um, 05, he kind of got in some into the majors. So then he started playing better. And then the next year, I think, I can't remember what year this is, but whenever the um, PGA was in Tulsa, mm-hmm. I got a phone call from um, Robert Carlson. And Robert okay. Carlson was there at the tournament. So prior to that, Gunnersville is quite close to Chattanooga an hour, right? So right. UTC Chattanooga. Well, I was starting to teach a bunch of college kids from different programs and I'd got this reputation where these people had never seen me give the same golf lesson twice. So the next thing I know, this gets to Gareth Lord, who's Robert Carlson's caddy, who went on to be Henrik Stenson's caddy and now is Justin Rose's caddy. Mm-hmm. One of my dear friends. And so Lordy had told Robert, you need to call this kid in this here at the PGA Apparently, everyone gets taught different golf lessons. <laughs> so, long, <laughs> long story short, I get this call on the phone. Mark, this is Robert Colson. Could you help me with my golf game? And so I'm at Tulsa, and I go, sure, no, no problem. I said to Heath, is it okay if I help this guy? He wants some help. This massive tall dude. And I knew Robert because I'm English, and he's kind of a legend on the European tour, right? Right. And then, long story short, I'm out there, probably the hottest I've ever been at a major. If anyone's ever out there, we were um, at a house, but funny story. And we were uh, had Pedialyte articles and jamming Pedialyte <laughs> and it's so hot. And I'm out there, I work with Heath, and then I spend these afternoons every day out there with Robert Carlson. It was unbelievable. So, but he was all into it. And then um, he goes, well, would you consider coming to Spain? <laughs> Valderrama with me for the um, European like mask, whatever. I'm trying to think what they call that. That tour. It used to be kind of more towards the end of the year, right? And he'd never really played very well there. So I would go and I'd go over there and um, he plays strategically like a complete moron. Like just <laughs> ridiculous after the first round. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like the, these holes he's hitting drivers. And if, if you've ever been to Valderrama, I mean, he's it makes it's about in places it's Hilton head tight right so I'm like well why would you not do this yada 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 anyway he goes on and has a really good finish well long story short we start working together and in 2000, 2007 2008 he wins the European Order of Merit and he finishes top 10 in all the majors so I got to travel that year a lot with him um, 
when Tiger was at Torrey Pines and did everything on a broken leg, I watched that whole time. Robert played with him on Saturday. I was there and watched all of those shots. Was standing on, I guess it's 16 or whatever, when he holds it out. So got to see some really cool like golf moments. And he played great that year. And it was kind of one of those things where that, again, was, was a sort of launching pad. And then between the two of those guys, I stayed pretty busy. I had a lot of other people come to help, come to see me, junior golfers. And then kind of at this point, I started, I got an opportunity to teach at the ledges in Huntsville. So uh-huh. Huntsville's 50 miles away. The ledges is an awesome, uh, heard some fry golf course on the top of Huntsville Mountain. And essentially, I kind of was working there and in Gunnersville. So I now had two facilities, Gunnersville, and then I had this awesome facility, Alleges. And from there, I kind of started teaching more people. There was an assistant at the Alleges called Chris Harder, who's now, um, he went on to be the head pro at Tupelo. Now he's down in Ormond Beach, Florida. And he kind of became my first sort of protege. And then we started teaching more and more lessons and it just kind of built from there. And then that was when I started, I've left one big, big significant piece out. So when I started working with Robert, I need to go back a little bit, so I apologize here. In 2007, in early 2008, he asked me if I would go to um, TPI with him. And I kind of knew Dave and Greg, but didn't, you know, really not. So I, I went to TPI um, with Robert, and then that was pretty instrumental because I'd already been certified TPI, blah, 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 but it was the first time, like, with an elite player, I'd kind of seen the power of 3D, and what I was doing, which was a lot of more ad-based information, just because Robert was somebody that was essentially he was way off of the golf ball with loads of sway. And all I did was based on the information I kind of had at the time, I and it was my preference at the time, I would say I got him really centered and it kind of essentially got him in a pattern where instead of hitting swipes across it, where he couldn't hit drivers. Now all of a sudden he was actually able to get onto the golf ball and he hit draws and he could hit some really good shots. But TPI validated that for Robert, at the time, that pattern was really good. And in 3D, it was better. And Dave and Greg kind of took a liking to me. And that kind of started that relationship. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. There's probably definitely something to this. And so that kind of then gave me the peace going back to college with the exercise science that all of a sudden, yeah, now that makes more sense. If physically you have kind of that mobility, stability, you're... predisposed probably to some of that movement pattern or you would be better to swing this way, right? So I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. So now circle forwards again. So I was now kind of involved from that point on. I got more involved with Titleist. They wanted me to start speaking and presenting their seminars because they had somebody that was you know, eating, breathing, living there, you know, the body swing connection, working with good players, working with club golfers, doing junior development. So it was some authenticity to it. So kind of that all happened around the same time. So we're talking probably sort of 2008, 2009, I started doing a lot of those seminars. And then obviously the, the stable grew. Now, fast forward um, to 2013, I got headhunted by um, Greystone here in Birmingham. They asked me if I would 
come to Birmingham, bring the academy here, develop like a centre of excellence at Greystone for their members. Um, they were going to build a building, et cetera, et cetera. It was kind of cool because teaching legend Hank Johnson was there. Wanted to kind of have him as like a, if you like, very much like Jack Lumpkin is at Sea Island, like a right. director of instruction emeritus, and then kind of blend the two sort of teams together. As with most things, when you go in there relatively young and I guess, if you like, optimistic about things, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sometimes that doesn't work. So my olive branch didn't really work. And long story short, um, that kind of didn't happen. And it ended up being that our academy stayed there. And we've now got a team of six instructors and we've been here since... 2004, so I guess I'm going on my sixth or seventh season. So, yeah, we got a fantastic facility. And now, I'm fortunate enough, I've, I've added more players over the years because of people being successful. And I tend to have long relationships with players. Players will come in and out. And obviously, I haven't had the right connection with them or they haven't interpreted the information. And then I've, you know, they've come and gone. But I've had a lot of guys that have stayed with me a long time. Some have left. And then tried other things and then come back. So I like to think that I build pretty good relationships with players. They get better over time. Um, and it's it's one of those things, it's, it's consistent. They know I'm invested in them. And that's kind of really how I got, I'm very fortunate. Lots of great other coaches like yourself that have helped me along the way, um, been mentored by some great people, friends of ours, you know. And I think that it's one of those deals where you put all these things together and everybody's trying to do the right thing. We now have a lot better tools to measure with. So now I, you know, with 3d motion capture with force plates, you know, it's one of those things where now my mindset is, well, force precedes motion. So your kinetics of what your body's doing with your, your feet, your hands, either end of the club is going to determine what you do. So then that's actually going to influence how you move. So there's so many different pieces to it now. And then you add in the psychological level and the things I've learned from that world. And I'm fortunate to have my good buddy, Brett McCabe down mm -hmm. the street, who we both know well. So I've learned a lot of these different pieces to really kind of create this holistic approach to coaching and taking, depending on the level of the student, these different elements to help somebody. So essentially, how do they move? Okay, well, how do they apply force? What shot do they want to hit? Okay, well, based on those variables, here's the pattern that we need to build for you to be able to hit good golf shots. And then once we have the pattern, well, then how do we train the pattern? Now we get into motor learning and people like Will Wu that I do spend a lot of time with. Him and John... Um, Dunnigan have an awesome coaching program that folks should try, which is, is great, uh, Coaching Alliance, which is all about, like, motor learning. So all these different pieces kind of go into kind of what you do. So when someone sees you teaching and they see you on a driving range as a coach or on a tour event, what they don't realize is the amalgamation of all the information that's there. So you might say something that seems very elementary, but there's a lot of layers underneath it because – it's built on experience of less is always more. And I, I think that one of the things you're trying to do is early on, I probably got labeled as a technical coach and the, the age old comment from players is when well, I'm a field player. Well, I always say you're not a field player to people because if you're a field player, you'd feel what you're doing. You'd be able to fix it. The right. feel is a cop out for, I don't want to be overly complicated with information. Well, that's on my end is, 
is bad coaching because I haven't been able to realize that this student is a bit like a paper shredder. You put more than two pieces in there, it jams the thing. So you've got to be very careful about how you get that information. And the downfall of more information on knowing more is in early on, you're, uh, every coach wants to share. I think you try and give people more information than they probably can process. And so it's trying to figure out how do you kind of drip feed that to, to give people the right information so that they, they can get better. So, I mean, that's a, if you like, that's kind of a very condensed leaving out some different pieces, but the poignant parts would be early starting golf machine, more ad physiologically, biomechanical side of it, TPI technology, getting into the, the coaching part, of, of the right players, the right time with the right information, and then, you know, having a th- big thirst to learn. I will say one thing that's probably I've not put enough on is I was always trying to play when I was doing this early on. Now, we had kids in 2009, mm-hmm. which kind of made, took a, a twins, and that took away from playing. But I used to play in all the section events, played in the, PN, the national PNC. So I was always playing and trying things out. And I think my ability and credibility with players was always that oh, if they were out of question or whatever, I'd say, give me the club. And then I would do it. That was like people would be, okay, well, this person can actually demonstrate and do it. So I had some proficiency at playing. Now, I'm old now, don't really have that, <laughs> lost all the speed I used to have, but still try and play, can still get it around the golf course. But I think that did was something that was significant because especially with some of the Mac O'Grady stuff early on, you had to do it, right? Like that, that was the best thing about going to see Matt, whether you were a 70-year-old person or a 20-year-old or you were a coach. Everybody that would, would have to go through the motions of hitting shots and he'd work on people's golf games. So, yes, you were trying to swing in a specific pattern, very much where Stack and Tilt came out. So there's lots of good stuff there. But um, So that was it was forced you to kind of play. So one of the things I would still say is, Hitting golf shots, hitting, playing, and being able to do that is still a, a big part of sort of the research of what you do as a coach as to how it works. And so I'm always trying things on myself, and I tend to try information and different, you know, hypotheses, especially when it comes to ground forces and some uh, 3D type findings with juniors and players that it's not so much their career and their well-being that's on the line with the information so that then when you you can validate something you know it works when you you're giving it to a tour player or a player that plays for a living it's much easier to for them to be able to apply it because you've done it before but also you know that hey this works i've got enough case studies and evidence to to say it does we just here's what we need to do to make it happen so that's kind of the that would be the if you like overall summary no, that's of great that's kind of where it's at and obviously there's this folks i've spent a lot of time with latterly like mike adams who uh are kind of blending all those pieces together as well uh with with great information and mike's a dear friend and he's he's been really really good to me so it's it's one of those things i don't think by any means we kind of know it all now but i think we have a pretty good idea of technically what works what doesn't i think there's lots of people that get caught up in looking at old pictures and making a lot of assumptions what people don't really seem to understand also is that that what you see visually 
the kinematics of something. We don't know what the kinetics were of what caused that. So we make a lot of subjective sort of, this is what this person did, this is what. But we don't know that because we're not able to objectively measure any of those people that are involved black and white pictures. We can, we can guess, but we really don't know. And I think the way we're going to really advance as a community of coaches is in the, you know, the learning side of things and then also the, the neurological, when we can start actually wiring folks up when they're playing golf to see how aroused they get, what they do in true tournaments. Because obviously the tough part is right now everything is <laughs> out of context. It's not adrenaline. It's not, nothing's really measured in the true, like, if you like, in battle. So I think one of the things that we'll get to is markers, measurement tools will become so small that they'll be used actually in competition. So we'll be able to observe and see what's happening. And that stuff's fascinating to me because at the end of the day, golf is the game to be played and the goal is to shoot lower scores. So how do we do that? We know that when players play well, they're not thinking about how they're doing something. They're way more externally focused on, on the target and what they're doing. And so I'm really excited to see where where all that goes and how we can get people, you know, Peer and Lynn have their Vision 54. Like, how can we get someone to shoot 54? And then how, you know, is that feasible? I mean, I'm sure someone's going to do it at some point on the right golf course, but, but all those different pieces that allow people to shoot really, really low scores. And I, I think that that's the, to me, that's the exciting part about being a coach and then, you know, wanting to be around for a long, long time so I can see these advances and, and where things go. What, in your time on the tour, a uh, question I wanted to ask you was, how have you seen instruction or teaching on the tour change? I, I haven't been out there, obviously, near as long as you. Just curious, your perception of how it's changed and what are some common traits that you see in the folks that are successful out there and that have stayed out there a while? So uh, I would say that the overall level of information, I think, is way, way better, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's uh, more depth of coaches, I think the younger coaches are coming in with a lot more technical proficiency, but there is no substitute for experience of being in an environment and knowing what to say to a player and when to say it. And how do you emotionally get somebody in the right frame of mind? So I think when you look at coaches, you've got, you've got really three types of coaches and you have them on the PJ tour. So, You've got technically proficient coaches and you've got coaches that, our oh, buddy Matt Rudy and I, we talk about who have amazing soft skills, really good like interpersonal skills and ability to, they're essentially mm -hmm. a, a, bar, a hybrid of a coach, a sports psychologist, and I would say they tend to be on the opposite end of the spectrum of a technical coach. Some players need that. They have the technical skills, but they need their arousal state is excessive, they might need somebody to calm them down, they might need somebody to kick them in the rear end, they might need someone to be a cheerleader. There's no like magic formula, but some coaches are really good at that. And then I think in the middle you have the blend, which is what I'm seeing more of now on tour, where you have to have great human skills, you have to, have, the people that you coach, they have to trust you, know that you have their best interest and you need to know what makes that person tick. Mm -hmm. Good coaches know how to push your buttons. You know how to piss a player off and you know how to make a player feel really good so that you can get a given outcome, right? 
So I think you're seeing more of that sort of hybrid where people have an understanding of the technical proficiency, but they also are very good at being able to interact with the player. And you kind of have that blend. So those are the three types of coaches I see. Mm -hmm. If I look at the most successful, I think that they get players to a point where it appears that they're not doing very much maybe at a tournament, but that's because the work's been done before they get to the site. And then it's a question of learning the golf course. How do you play? What goes on? So it's going on the golf course, watching your players, understanding statistically what they're good at, what they need to work at. I think that I see more of that. And I think that's a credit to the coaching fraternity that people are doing a better job. Now, there's media personalities who are paid lots of money to create stories and a narrative and support their own agendas, which I think is great. And I respect like being doing live TV and media is difficult. At the same time, if you've never taught golf lessons or you don't understand all the work and research that's gone in, I think that to believe that golf instructors aren't particularly competent and they, they don't know what they're doing is foolish. I would say that you're working with the best players in the world and you're successful on the PGA Tour and you've got a stable of more than a couple of players, you obviously know what you're doing and you've got a track record. So I think that golf instruction has definitely come a long way. On tour, the hybrid type coach is, is what we see more of, but you still see plenty of those other types of coaches. And if the player needs what you can offer, you will have a successful outcome. If you don't have the re- the tools, if you like, in your toolkit to help that person, you're not going to be successful, and it's not going to be a positive outcome. That's the, and it's you know, some of that in in everything in life is a bit of luck, but you kind of make your own luck because For you sure. try and make sure that you the players that you gravitate to or you your players that you like are a good match for you. Because I know there's players that I won't that will be very badly with. So I stay away from them, like them, think they're great people, but it's not going to work. And early on, you're in, you're very keen to work with lots of players and you have the mindset you can help anyone. Well, you might be able to help anyone, but are you going to increase someone's capacity for greatness? That's a big deal. And if you can't because there isn't quite that connection or you don't have the skill set that they need, that isn't your MO, that's not what you're really good at, it's not worth your time. Whereas there might be somebody else who does have, if you like, the the piece missing that you can you're really good at coaching or you know that that's in your wheelhouse, now that's a match made in heaven. So I think that's where people there's so many golfers in the world, there's more players than we can coach. We all need to look at it as well this person I try and have the mindset of this person does this really, really well. They're good at that. Every coach that coaches has something they're good at, as opposed to that guy's terrible. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a terrible coach, which loads of coaches do that. Mm -hmm. They trash talk other coaches thinking that their way is the best way. Well, I think that's really, really foolish. That doesn't make any sense. So I always try and make the effort to tell you something positive about a coach. Even the coaches I can't stand because I know they're (laughs) slanderous to me, which people talk, right? But when you start talking badly about people, it gets out. It's just so evident. So when you're honest and objective and you tell something good about somebody, you can acknowledge that oh, that might be something they're not great at, but you always say, well, they're really good at this. I think that puts a different spin on it. And unfortunately, 
instead of agreeing to disagree and looking at what people's strengths are, we don't always do that, which doesn't necessarily help us in the big picture. That's where some journalists and other people tend to stop, you know, sticking the knives in. But the reality is we can help each other. There's more golfers than we can all coach. It's much better to be a collective learning together, much more like the medical community does, but we haven't yet figured that out. No, I, and, and as we wrap this up, I, one of the things, Scott Hamilton sat in with me on this a uh, few months ago, and he said that people would be surprised at how, you know, on tour, how much all of the teachers, those of us that are out there, actually like each other and talk. Right. I mean, it's not I mean, I think I think the majority of us know that we have strengths and, and there's guys that we could help or that are good with and guys that we aren't. And also, I think we all appreciate how much work goes in and how hard it is to coach those guys and to survive out there. So there's a mutual respect and understanding of, of what the job entails versus somebody that really hasn't ever done it or spent time out there and com- the comments on it. A hundred percent. Well, it's just like the medical community, right? People have different cases. And so people have had success in a particular case. Well, you're going to have the coaches on tour have been successful in a given situation. So if you're willing to be vulnerable and you ask questions, people will want to help out. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of time is people have this in, sort of, if you like, perception that oh, every coaches don't really share what they do. And I think that the more you're willing to share, the more you learn and then the better outcomes you have. And everybody's kind of pulling for each other. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's someone I'm friends with, their players play well, I text the player, I text the Always. coach. You know, I mean, that's what you're trying to do is you're, you're happy for them. So it's one of those things. We're, all, we're in the problem-solving business, right? I look at what I do as critical thinking. You're trying to find a solution to the problem. Well, if you don't know and you don't ask someone, you're a dumbass because you're not going to get the solution. And that's the, the fact is it's, you're going to sit around. There's quite a lot sitting around for us, you know, <laughs> certain tournaments, like the tournament that happens this week that we're not having, which we're going to have in November, is more sitting around than any golf tournament that we have because it's not the easiest working condition. Correct. You can't really go on the golf course with the players. So there's loads of times to learn. So one thing I love about the Masters is I know I'm going to get to talk to some really, really great coaches sitting in the caddy area, like just chatting, talking shop. Those those are the nuggets of where you learn as a coach. So I, I think that that's the, the part. And a lot of times you, you start to really respect and like coaches you otherwise wouldn't when people let their guard down and they're willing to share. No question about it. Mark, thanks for taking time this morning to sit in. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. Appreciate it as always and always the support and the help. And look forward to hopefully soon over the next few months catching up with you out on the road. Yeah, you got it, you guys. Everyone take care. Be safe in this crazy time. Stay uh sheltering in place or if you're uh, you know social distancing just take care so we can come out of this and we can get back to golf and have fun take care be safe all right talk to you later mark thanks so much Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. If you want to learn more about Tony, head over to dosweepersgolf.com. 
Bitcoin.com to get all the details on what he's up to. Maybe you want to see him, grab a lesson or go to one of his camps, pick up his book, Lessons from the Legends. You can do that there. If you want to see Tony in action with some videos and other content, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Tony to get more info there. This episode was powered by the Golf Science Lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. There's one thing if you know about me, if you listen, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to see me, listen to me talk, is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the Dew Sweepers, uh, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to thank, give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are first and foremost Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years and their belief and support of what we do here with the Dew Sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors. Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the Dewsweeper. Sweeper.